Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Welcome back, everybody, to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. I'm Danny Murphy. We're your partners in wine, crime time, and maybe Claritin or an allergy medication if anybody else <laughs> has. It's allergy season. I don't know if anybody else Oof. gets hit as hard as I do. Do you get them so bad, Sarah? It's funny because when I was growing up, I would always get sick every single year around Passover, and it just oh. became a family joke. And then one year I went to the doctor, and he was like, have you heard of seasonal allergies? It sounds like you have them. <laughs> like, oh, that's a little Sarah sickness. You're like, no, it's actually a very common thing, guys. Can someone get me drugs? Yes. I, that was actually back when you had to get a prescription for Claritin. So that was a good time. Good days. But probably maybe before you had to go behind the thing to get Sudafed, which. Ugh, yes, yeah. definitely before that time. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any true crime updates. Nothing really. We're following the Lori Vallow trial. Yeah, following that, um, I saw another Billy McFarlane Firefest. Is he, didn't he post? <sighs> like, yes, I saw that. Why should you be invited to Firefest? I'm like, I'm not asking to be invited. I am asking to be invited. Well, you, can, you can test that out for us. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to be there. Like, I, mean, I want to get this story on the ground. So that's the differentiation between someone about to graduate with a master's in journalism and someone that I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to rough it for the story, but I'm excited so for you to true. recap it with us. <laughs> yes. I will be live on the ground Yes, from like a hole in the dirt fire festival, 2024. Oh, 2000%. <laughs> oh my God. And in other news, um, Elizabeth Holmes is not allowed to wait out her appeal from home. The judge was like, no, <laughs> Yeah, the judge said, uh, Judge Edward Davila uh, said that Holmes does not pose danger to the community or flight risk, but he cast doubt on her appeal because she like, she's like, they're just like, yeah, she's guilty. She got to go. She tried to appeal for like, I feel so many reasons at this point. She's like, Your Honor, the vibes are just not right for me. Yeah, she's like, Your Honor, like Jen Shaw's now doing a play in there. I don't really want to oh act God. like I, 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 don't, I don't know. I just not mean, maybe I don't want to mess up the flow that they have going on. I want to see that. I feel like Jen Shaw is fucking running that prison. Wait, I forgot who I was talking to, but I was like, yeah, like a rich narcissist going to like kind yep. of like a semi-fancy prison. She's in heaven. Exactly. Like, I feel like she's having the time of her life. I mean, evidently she's a director now. A, 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 a multi-hyphenate. <laughs> she, yeah, truly. I mean, and this guy that we're covering today is also a multi-hyphenate. Uh, and one of my favorite of the hyphens is scoundrel. Yes, I was going to say <laughs> player, but scoundrel is even better. We got to bring that word back. We really do. I love just like they're like, ah, because back in the day, I they used whenever they would cover crimes. It really was Scooby-Doo lingo because <laughs> they'd be like, ah, why I ought to like, oh, these troublesome kids. Like everybody yeah. was like that. Like it was literally Scrappy-Doo writing for the New York Daily News. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, truly. And today, I mean, the Daily News does play a big part in today's topic. They wrote this pretty extensive article. 
So shouts out to them, I feel like. I was also recently researching the Daily News because oh. I was writing a paper on Paris Hilton. This is what I'm paying like <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars for. Can I say love for it? Yes. But I was looking at that, what we now call the holy trinity of like Britney, Paris, Lindsay. Yes. But actually, I think this was the post. They called it Bimbo Summit. Bim- yes, that is the name du jour of that. And I also feel that that sums up this investigation, which we'll get into later. (laughs) Investigation is a strong word. That's true. That is so true. Today we're going to be talking about, this is apparently a very famous unsolved New York case, the death of Serge Rubinstein, born in Russia in 1908 to Dimitri and Stella. 1908. So that's modern for us now. I know, right? (laughs) We're we're not at someone making banks. (laughs) No, well, this is like every time I see things like this, and we saw this with Alice Parsons, where I'm like, how do you just become friends with like like rulers of countries? His father was reportedly the financial advisor to Tsar Nicholas II and Rasputin. And you guys, I mean, I'm like, my Anastasia, Anastasia oh. uh, senses are tingling. I'm like, that Rasputin? And I'm Once like, Once upon yeah, a December, much. yeah. Yeah, not the cartoon character, but like the real guy. It is insane. Yes. And so they fled during the Russian Revolution and went to, I mean, they were OG uh, backpacking through Europe, although it wasn't chic if you're fleeing. So (laughs) (laughs) it's it's what all like the people doing gap years funded by their family is doing. And they're like, oh my God, like I'm Rasputin. (laughs) Right. But like dangerous. So they went to uh, Sweden, Austria, France, and then England, where Serge eventually got an economics degree from Cambridge and I saw that and I was like, oh, I know somebody who is shaking at that news. I will not say who. No names. Yeah, no names. But if you, most, I think all y'all know. If you know, you know. Um, so Serge got into banking and joined the Banque Franco-Asiatique and was running the bank by 1932. He was accused of manipulating the franc, which was like the French currency who at the hasn't? time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, he was accused of doing this by short selling. And I'm like, wow, he's a true OG Reddit bro. Like this guy founded Wall Street Bets. (laughs) And so then the prime minister of France expelled him from the country. Mm. Mm, Okay. Maybe next time just like invest in Best Buy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And also it's a hard thing. And you're like, what do you do if like the prime minister of a country is like, you're banished for like financial stuff. That's your options kind of run out of what to do next, of where to go. Yeah, you get the fuck out of there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's not like getting kicked out of a bar when you just try to go with like sunglasses on. Right. Like he's <laughs> has that happened to you? Oh, when you go back in with them, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I thought so. I think I kicked out of a bar for wearing sunglasses. I was like, wait, Sarah, no, you did something else that's worse. <laughs> uh. <laughs> You're like, I was like, I was spilling drinks everywhere on the on people, but my sunglasses? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was so fucked up that I had to wear sunglasses so you couldn't see my eyes, but it was the sunglasses. Yeah, no, it was the, they were just jealous. Yeah. So Serge came to the U.S. with a forged Portuguese passport in 1938 huh. and started hitting Wall Street as you do. That's also a thing. Like, how do you get, like, become friends with such royal people? And how do you just paint the town and you go like, hey, Wall Street? It's I, I'm like... Do you, how did you get, like, you just went into, like, a bank and was like, can I have a job here? Probably. It was so much easier back then. 
Well, I feel like it's like when our parents would give us job advice and they're like, just show up to the New York Times and print out a copy of your resume. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and work there forever. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> yeah. My mom like, like thinks I could just call up SNL and like get cast. I'm like, <laughs> you're like, man. I like that you believe in me, but um, she, she like sends you like the NBC or like the 30 Rockefeller like informational number. She's just call. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Surge made some money off the stocks with the Brooklyn Manhattan Transit Corporation. And now you can see why that's a tongue twister. Um, And the Postal Telegraph. Sidebar, though, I was like, Brooklyn Manhattan Transit Corporation. That sounds familiar. Um, Because Alice Parsons' rich uncle, Tim, worked for the Brooklyn Rapid Transit Company. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if they were like the same company or they're related or they're maybe fierce competitors. I I was going to say, they probably were familiar with each other in the business of rapid transit. Yeah, and Brooklyn. It's like they have like a volleyball league where they played against each other. I would love to imagine that world. (laughs) Uh, So he amassed a fortune doing this with the stocks, you know. Uh, That's how you know I don't invest. And then he also bought up a company called Chosen Corporation Limited. I don't know what it does. It was chosen for something. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I was like, it's a synagogue corporation? Just kidding. So he did this because the stock plummeted because one of its directors was accused of misappropriating funds. So he just kind of swooped in and was like, yeah, I'm going to buy this while it's cheap. And I also love our boy being like, who would misappropriate funds? (laughs) What? (laughs) I am, I am shocked. (laughs) So true. So what he did was he gained control of the company. And I guess it had to do with some kind of mining because he sold the mines off to this Japanese company for $1.7 million, the equivalent in yen. Um, But apparently Japan has limits on how much you could export of its currency. So he had to like smuggle most of it out. Oh, okay. I wish I had details on that. Like how many, like was bags or suitcases or? I'm thinking like he's coming into the airport, like the the Michelin man, just like. (laughs) Padded to the gills <laughs> with all this yen. I don't know. Um, but so in 1941, he was sued by other uh, shareholders of the Chosen Corp and ended up settling out of court with them in 1946 for $2 million. Also, that big year for this guy. In 1941, he also married Lorette Kilborn, who was a model, Love. and they had two children. Um, here is a little passage from, I believe, the Daily News. It says... Money bought him friends in high places. His campaign contributions earned him a dinner at the White House with the Roosevelts. Oh. Turn up. Um, Shout out. I know. Rolling big. But he made some enemies, too. Um, In 1947, he he was convicted of evading the military draft during World War II. That happened. Yeah. He tried, like, I mean, listen, I totally get it. He tried very hard to evade the draft. Like, he he made up multiple lies. First, he was like, oh, no, I'm uh, I'm Portuguese, see? Like, I can't serve in the military. And then they were like, okay, but what about all this other stuff you said and, like, your businesses? And they were like, okay, never mind. Um, I actually, like, he lied about his income. Oh, that's what, yeah, he said that. He was like, oh, my God, guys, I only made $11,000 last year. I need to support, like, my huge family. Like, I have so many kids. Like, my wife needs me, all this stuff. He brought home over three hundred grand. So, <laughs> a little bit more than 11000 Yeah. So, they were like, no. So, so because of that, 
he got convicted and served um, two years in a Pennsylvania prison. So then his wife in 1949 divorced him, quote, on the grounds of mental cruelty and the fact that he was convicted of a felony. Okay. Yeah. And that same year he was indicted but acquitted of stock fraud. So I'm like, rough year. You know that saying everything hits at once? Yeah. Damn. So newly divorced, he became, he did his like uh, midlife crisis rebrand, became known as a playboy and also, this is a quote, a cafe society denizen. And I don't really know what those words mean, but I love them together. Wait, I love that you don't know what those words mean because that was the part of this that made me go like, I need to like read about all about what a de- like what that even well, I was like, to? what's a? I mean, I obviously know what a cafe is, society. Sure, <laughs> um, denizen. I can imagine what it means. I've never really seen that used before. Well, it's funny because this was like the term they use. It was like just like the person who is like denizen is a person who's somewhere. So you're the people a that are around. Person who's somewhere. That's so no, I vague. Think. So I'm this- a denizen of somewhere. I'm a, I'm a denizen of every Duncan I'm in. I'm a Duncan yeah, denizen. Seriously. So it was like the people that would just hang out in like the society fashionable cafes and restaurants. Kind of like I feel like it was like before socialites. Like, are they just kind of calling you like a a sort of hanger on? I think it's kind of the way socialite has a negative and positive connotation, and like okay. kind of like the people now where it's like almost even like oh, like they're influ. It's more like influencer vibes than Cheers vibes. Yes. So okay. It, it was, yeah, it was sort of like. Because he was in like the society pages a lot. Yeah. And like, you know, the events coverage in the paper. Eg- exactly. So it was kind of the, it was kind of the people were like, oh, you got to hear about them. Because they were the beautiful, bright, young things, people who just gathered at like, like say a new cafe opened. Yes. They are running and running there. Okay. And- like how New York Magazine just like picks some random girl on Instagram and calls her the new it girl. Literally. Okay. Perfect. And I'm just kind of like, huh? What, what's going on there? And that's so, so basically they would just have a lot of parties. And also it's kind of funny because around this time, the thirties and forties is when like photojournalism really became a thing. Cause they were like, Oh, we got cameras that we can actually use a lot more frequently. <laughs> so I think it, I almost didn't, I should have like delver delved deeper into them. But I don't know if it would let me there. I would have loved if like society people just came. Cause like out like newspapers are like, well, we have a lot of cameras. What do we do with them? Let's just take pictures of pretty people. And Make them celebs. So kind of what you're saying about the New York Magazine does. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. So Cafe Society. <laughs> I'm like, should we start a cafe with that name? That's a good name. Ooh. It probably exists. Or we do an offshoot of a Denny's, like the denizens of Denny's. Yes. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Like Sarah said, you had a rough 1949, but kind of after that, sort of, I don't know if midlife crisis is the right word, but sort of went on a new path of this kind of like playboyiness, yeah, sort of getting a reputation. And that reputation culminated in January 26, 1955, where he dined, as a Cafe Societe person would do, at Nina's As a Love, denizen. As a denizen. A dining denizen. <laughs> he was the DD. And yes. It's New York, so no one's driving and everyone's <laughs> drinking. Uh, so he dined at Nino's La Rue at East 58th Street with Estelle Gardner, a brunette. Sidebar, I loved researching this because I was like, uh, I don't go to these places. They don't exist. But I was like, I know this spot. I know this spot. Like, I was just over here. It honestly is one of my most, like, researching things like this that happen, especially in the city, because I'm like, oh, I know that area. It really like, maybe we'll, yep. do a, we'll focus some more on some, like, New York older stuff. And it's also very just very fun. cool to see, like, because I'm like, oh, my God, it is interesting how, like, the Upper East Side has always been where a place called Nino's La Rue would be. <laughs> Fucking Nino's La Rue. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm like, is it French? Is it Italian? Like, I don't even know, but I love it. It's everything. It's everything. It, it sounds yeah. classy either way. Oh, <laughs> Nino? Yeah. La Rue? It's doing it for time. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then either the same day or two days before, depends on how much of- I read uh, both things. Yeah. I don't know. So- Listen to the story and you can interpret if he was a player who could double book or if he needed some time in between. <laughs> he was with a blonde, Patricia Ray. <laughs> he's like the original Ray Schremer. He's like, I don't, I don't have a type. I don't know. He really, he's, you know what? No. No type. Uh, who was the secretary of Trans Era Oils on Madison Avenue for a business conference. Very chic. Okay, yes. so like, <laughs> as Sarah called it, not tea, but TVD. <laughs> yeah. Well, at first I was like, ooh, the same day. And then I read another thing and I was like, oh, two days before. And I was like, hmm, hmm. that drastically changes things. But he changes. was with her at some point. <clears throat> they, they they rendezvoused. Yes. At La Rue. At La Rue. I like, are, could we be like city denizens now talking all this stuff? Um, oh, yeah. After hitting the town with Estelle all night, he took her back to his apartment around 1 a.m. for a night camp. Uh-huh. I do actually feel back then, like, they probably did have nightcaps. They're probably like, oh, just a triple of whiskey to put you to sleep. Like, you know? Because there wasn't Tylenol PM back then. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, and like, also like, not like, they're like, yeah, let's just, and I feel like everybody... Just from, I mean, Mad Men was a little after this, I think, but like just from everything, like people were just always drinking whiskey. Seriously. I almost like, like, just like they would walk in the door and be like, oh, I don't, like my milk's expired. Oh, I'll just have bourbon for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how when the weather gets above 60 degrees, like no matter what time of day it is, I'm like, I need a cocktail right now and a flatbread. And I'm like, wait, it's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> this week? But, if I, but back then I could just do that. Walking around last night, I was like, oh, I forget that spring, summer in the city, people are bananas in the way yes. that everyone is just like jumping on each other for happy hours, rolling in Seriously. the street. And I'm like, what's up? Okay, hey, everybody. Yeah. 
and it just oh it's a it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful energy you can you can smell the smell the hope <laughs> and the and the garbage but yeah it's <laughs> uh so she left about 30 minutes later not that much of a not some good game uh-uh that's not great <laughs> <laughs> not that much of a night she's just like okay nope. good morning <laughs> um she like texts all her friends it's like they're like you're home already she's like <laughs> They're like, hey, can you actually call me and fake an emergency? Like, yeah. I need to get out of here. She sends her messenger pigeon and be like, yeah, I'm home. <laughs> I know they didn't have messenger pigeons at this time, but I would love that. <laughs> um, then our boy tried to send, you know, tale as old as time. A little rendezvous reply respondence to Patricia Ray. A little ye old uptext you up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but she didn't come over. She's probably like, I'm actually, okay. I'm not good. She's like, the cab is 30 there. The cab's going to be 30 minutes back. I'm not, it's, the time does not justify what we'd be doing. She's like thinking of the last time she was over there and is like, ignores it. And then the next morning's going to be like, oh my God, sorry, I was asleep. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I was just having bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Speaking of the next morning, the next morning for Rubenstein, he was found dead wearing blue and black silk pajamas found by his butler, <clears throat> which really reminded me, this story really reminded me of the guy. Elwell? Co- yes. Oh, yeah. Really no. much so. Kind of like player vibes, very wealthy, found by, yeah. Yes, rambunctious night, found dead the next morning. And while that one was like, oh, it had to be uh, someone probably close to him because of the way this was set up, this was a little more intense. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rubenstein's hands and feet were tied with Venetian blind cords, and there was tape over his mouth. Inventive. Very, I was like, oh, this is a lot moving, there's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, like you didn't bring your own, you didn't bring your own string, you just took it from whatever was around Literally. Uh, and his death was ruled manual strangulation, which is not shocking. And it was believed to have happened around 3 a.m. And also, the pe- people were saying that it was like, I know this is very intense. It was such an intense force. So either because someone who, either a very personal vendetta or just someone very strong who wanted to, who was doing this, um, they broke two bones in his throat while strangling him. Whoa. And when uh, investigators got to the scene, like, the apartment was completely ransacked. So they believe it could have been, like, a robbery gone bad or something around those lines. hmm And so as far as the investigation, 50 detectives were assigned to 50. the case. That seems like a lot. On Law & Order, you get two. Maybe. A BOGO. I'm like, fifth. Did anybody, did anybody else have anything going on? <laughs> no. <laughs> no other crimes. Well, the thing is, they interviewed 500 of his friends and associates, so I kind of understand it. You get 10 apiece. I guess. To- Damn, those are big odds. Or Also, again, who the fuck has 500 friends uh, and associates? Ramona Singer, so I guess people on the Upper East Side. Yeah, true. I have no associates. This um, is when, like, people who, like, I feel that's part of, like, cafe society where they're like oh my god all these people are my friends it's like you know you need to realize like your friends you're going out friends and the tears not tears but just like the levels like they're not they're probably like oh Rubenstein yes. you need to come over they're like who 
Oh, the guy who sits three tables down from me at cafe? No, I'm okay. No, it's so true. And so they, the police couldn't even determine if there was forced entry or if anything had been taken. Like, all right. Um, he was also a player who played honestly too much because he gave his keys to like so many women that they, that was also part of the reason why it was hard to determine if it was false entry. Cause he was just giving out his house keys, like Halloween candy, this man. <laughs> and what an emotional manipulating man. Cause you would think if someone gave you a key to their apartment, you're like, okay, this is what key first, then the ring. Not for him. No. no. Nope. He he just wants easy entry for these nightcaps. Also, it's like you live in New York. I mean, I think he did have a multiple story uh, place, but like you can't walk. It's not like you're like across a huge home. Like you can walk downstairs, open a door too. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was before the days where you could buzz people in. So that's accurate. I kind of get it. So the police interviewed a few of his lady friends. Um, mm. But they determined that a woman wouldn't have been strong enough to yank him out of bed and strangle him. I don't know. Is this a case of like sexism or is that true? I know. I do like how that kind of is one of those classic ways to like, this is a really gruesome case. A woman couldn't do that. Yeah. But I don't know. It but does the, take the a lot two, to strangle The two someone. bones is very And I guess also maybe the people they were interviewing might have not seemed like they could have done it. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think a small woman, like with the Lizzie board and stuff, I'm like, a small woman, I think, could wield an axe. Oh, yeah. Could a small woman, like, overpower a man, like, a big man and strangle him? I don't know. Yeah, that's a little different. And, like, in such an intense way, yeah. Yeah, but maybe she's strong. And she had adrenaline pumping because she was pissed at him. Adrenaline, whiskey, and whatever other multiple drugs they had. Seriously. I mean, maybe he drank too much whiskey, and he was just like, hmm. Anyway, we don't know. His mom and aunt lived at the top floor of the building, and they said they heard an argument around 1 a.m. and then saw a girl in brown, and she's going to come back a bit. Um, But police kind of disregarded this and thought they were confused because um, this was actually before Serge got home. He got home around like 1.30, Mm -hmm. and they saw this happen at 1 or heard. Um... The thing is that, like, police didn't really seem to care about solving the case. Um, Not at all. (laughs) No. When his body was loaded onto a stretcher, the Times reports, four policemen on the stretcher detail shivered a little. They seemed glad to get it over with. Um, Yeah, they're just, you know, 50 police officers are like, all right, let me just clock in and get my overtime. No, truly. They're like, "Uh, let me me, me check uh, back there a little bit. Until, like, the clock strikes, like, 102, and it's like, well, I got another hour of overtime. Yes. Um, This is just not really that related to the case, but I thought it was really funny. But also so related to the case. Yeah. So fucking funny. So I found um, this old newspaper covering the case, and they covered Rubenstein's funeral. And at the funeral, his rabbi said he had an unquestioned psychopathic personality and Ooh. said he was brilliant but lacked wisdom. Dragged at your own funeral. This guy literally, I mean, I just dug into it a bit because he was seriously dragged at his own fucking funeral by the rabbi. I'm like, rabbi. Oh, uh, we didn't expect it from you. I know. Come on. 
Um, he said he was a frustrated man because he wanted friends and never had them because he never seemed to realize that in order to have a friend, one must be a friend. Okay. Can I say though, that is real. It's so real. That like, it's a thing where you're like, Ooh, cruel, but okay. It's like the roast of Serge Rubenstein, but he's dead. (laughs) I mean, literally he roasted, but it's kind of true. He also said he wanted love, but never knew that love must be earned and cannot be bought. Woof. Like as J-Lo or Ashanti once sang, my love don't cost a thing. Oh yeah, Ashanti. Okay. And then he also said he wanted security, but lacked what is more important, inner security. Oof. Ah, If he wasn't already dead, this would have killed him. (laughs) He's like... Oh, it's almost like, remember um, uh, in uh, Lemonade with Beyonce? She's like, so now what are you going to say at my funeral now that you killed me? Yes, yep. <laughs> I guess. This. Oh, my God. I know. Ooh. This is like, this is how you know that everybody fucking hated you. Like, the rabbi can't even say something nice at your funeral. <laughs> and also, I'm sure everybody in the audience was like, they're like, louder. Yeah. yeah. Everyone in the audience was like that guy from Love is Blind, like squirting eye drops into their eye to look like tears. <laughs> <laughs> so even though the rabbi could i know right now you could be like does the rabbi do it yeah <laughs> you're like he was not on the suspect list but there were plenty of people who didn't like search detectives found a white glove and a handbag with a comb missing some teeth inside and they thought it might be a clue left by the woman in brown. They're like, hmm, blonde girls don't comb their hair. No, but also because they just assumed because of the mom and aunt saying that. But I don't know how that goes into that. And they they did find out that it belonged to Patricia Ray. And she apparently left her stuff there in October or November. There were 18 fingerprints found in his bedroom, six of which were his own. And two of which, which were useless smudges. What about that? And I think the rest just didn't like amount to anything, obviously, because if they did, we would know what happened. Know about it, yeah. But those useless smudges, I'm sure, also probably his own Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, One of the first suspects, Lee Brooks. Lee Brooks was a longstanding business rival and potential suspect. I like that they're, they're like, okay. Business gets personal a lot of times. I know. Time. I want a rival. I don't have any rivals. That's no fun. As when you hear someone saying, I have nothing. Nothing. Um, <laughs> so they had some issues over like 850,000 shares of Stanwell Oil and Gas Limited of Toronto. That's a lot of shares. A lot of shares. A lot of shares to share. Um, like long story short, because business is confusing, it basically involves like oil companies with holdings in Canada and the US. And one of the companies sued Sergey and some insurance companies for five million dollars. Brooks also was questioned by the police once in 1945, and then once two years later in 1947, about the unsolved murder of Albert E. Langford a textile executive who was murdered at a hotel on Park Avenue. So also a suspect. I'm like, why was he questioned? I couldn't find anything. Suspect about the suspect. I know. So I'm like, you know, you're linked to a lot of crimes around business people. Yeah. 
Brooks went to the hospital the day before the murder for a slip disc. So that's kind of, it's hard to slip disc and then slide to. I was going to say and strangle. I don't know if yeah, you're doing, uh, you're doing that. <clears throat> that might, that might be a pretty, uh, Good alibi. Brooks also said it would serve my purpose better if he had remained alive as we had an ironclad case against him. Mm. It's true. And then there was Stanley, T. Stanley. I love that. The original Holes character. Yeah. Stanley Stanley. So he was a Wall Street broker who Lee Brooks told the cops to speak to. I like how Lee was like, hey, uh, why don't you talk to Stan? <laughs> He's like, get, um, get hell yeah, you gotta yeah. get the heat off of you. They're And they're like, about which case that we're interviewing you about? He's like, um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brooke said Stanley would have records of deals that would contain info about who hated Rubenstein enough to kill him. Weirdly, the address where he worked, 44 Wall Street, was also the same address of a holding company that acquired Stan Wall Oil and gas he actually said he thought it was a mob hit and he told reporters that it was a syndicate job and a paid killing and that rubenstein had been threatened Mm. i don't know then there's this other guy herman schultz schultz was a petty thief i'm like you don't really we don't see petty thieves anymore he's just like oh him the petty thief he's fine (laughs) right i don't think so uh, so he got picked up by police and he told them something interesting. He said he'd been plotting to kidnap Frank Costello. Like, you know, the mob boss. Uh, okay. you know, ca- 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 casual. What are you up to this week? Oh, I think I'm just going to kidnap a mob boss. What about you? <laughs> and then instead was like, nah, I'm just going to kidnap Rubenstein, which I'm like, again, I don't think you have thought this through. <laughs> He's like, I'm not sure who I'm kidnapping, you guys, but I'm kidnapping somebody this week. He's like, I just have the urge. Exactly. It's like, no, I'm going to go to the gym. I don't know what class yet, but I'm going to go. Yeah. He never got around to kidnapping, which is good because I don't think he would have succeeded. But I, he, no. <laughs> no. Um, but he did say he recruited a few underworld types for the job and said one of them must have committed the murder. Um, detectives quickly realized that this guy was like, nah, really quite all there. So they let him go. And Schultz actually did end up getting arrested because he had a cache of weapons in his home. One of which was a machine gun. And to this day, it's been the only arrest made in connection with the case. That's crazy. Yeah. I feel like I read so much about this, but I didn't read very much about the theories because I think people are just like, I guess the mafia. Yeah, where they're like, we don't know what else to do. But we didn't even know that he was like in with the mafia or had pissed them off. I guess when you start manipulating financial markets, you might. <laughs> Those go usually go hand and hand. Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, but because I guess there's so many people who hated this guy. I know. I think it's a bad sign if no one can say anything nice about you at your own funeral. And then people aren't pressing too, too hard. I know it's also annoying that there was, I think they they just see there wasn't information on her because they ruled it out of a woman to do it. But Betty Reed, they had like photos of them together. And they're like, maybe she did it. But also it's the thing too where they were like, okay, I guess everyone just hated him, like you said. Why did they think Betty did it? Because she hated him. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like any of these women probably hated him. Like, I wonder, I'm imagining all of the women who have his key, like, accidentally trying to go to his apartment at the same time and being like, oh, 
Like the Spider-Man meme pointing at each other with the key. Like, wait, you have the key? Oh, I had the key. Like, It's very cell block tango. And also <laughs> interestingly, too, ele- um, I don't know if allegedly, but I think so. A movie was based upon him. Yes, yes. Death of a Scoundrel. It was. And they got to work on this right away because it came out in 1956. <laughs> and very cool Zaza was in it. no time. Oh, my no. God. And, yeah, it's uh, like a, a really famous cast, isn't it? Yeah, so I don't know if anybody is looking for an old-timey movie to watch, but... And also, because back then, they still knew, okay. keep a movie under 120 minutes. Actually, I prefer 90 minutes. 120 is a little long, but... It's probably good. It was it was all written, directed, and everything by Charles Martin. And Love it. Yeah, you know what? And George Sanders was in it. So some good some good people going all around. And it's a very, I mean... Really crazy story, and I'm sure like it's interesting to dive into like the cafe society of it all, and oh, yeah. kind of the salaciousness of it. But this was one of the because it came around that time too. It was one of like the really big, huge scandals that took over like the media conversation. Oh, it was huge. I mean, one of our sources is um, some newspaper, I think in Florida, but they were covering it like the Florence Times. So yeah, but they were even covering the minutia of his funeral. So it was like a huge, it was a huge case. Oh, giant. Yeah. So very, very crazy. And now it makes me want to look into some more New York stuff too. Oh, it does. Same. And yeah, so I mean, if you guys want us to focus in on some more New York things, or if you guys have any recommendations for stories or types of stories, you want us to unpack and uncover and investigate always let us know in the facebook group not another true crime group yes and what else do we have going on i'm trying to think follow us on instagram we say that yeah at not another doing true the crime. daily trivia it's fun actually somebody sent me their own trivia questions that i put up that were so hard it was like they got very deep into Jack the Ripper. And it was really oh. funny because a, a few people messaged me and they're like, yeah, when I was in middle school, I just had an obsession with this case. And I'm like, what? Why? <gasps> like, are you okay? But no, I thought it was very funny. That was one of the ones I feel like you were like, one of the first ones when you were a kid. You're like, what is this person's name? Oh, what's happening? Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's it's a very well-known story. Mm-hmm. We covered all the bases. Uh, rate, mm-hmm. review, and subscribe if you enjoyed listening Please, to us. Please, we'd love a little five-star for springtime, you know? <laughs> yes. keep, it, keep it going, keep it fun. It really does help. So we appreciate you guys for listening. And you can follow me on Instagram at Cashmere Danny, Cashmere the K. You can follow me at Sarah Lameem. And we'll be back next week. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales Pico and Sean Kilby. Our hosts are Sarah Levine and Danny Murphy. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at NATC Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to NATC at Betches.com. Betches.